Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems. But getting therapy has its own problems too. Like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable, too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit BetterHelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. Well, good evening, lady and gentleman. Welcome here to the, whatever this venue is called, the name now escapes me because at Edinburgh, they give the venues that have names, names for the fringe, and I don't know where I am or who I am or what on earth is going on, but I'm thrilled to have two fresh guests here for this episode of The Vanity Project. This is episode three of our fringe season, and they are two uh, comedians. They are creatures who deal in laughter. Um, we're joined by Diane Spencer and by the fabulous Alison June Smith. Hello, hello. Hello, hello. Thank you so much for joining me today. Um, so I always tell the audience that listen at home to the podcast that the audience in the room here are all in ball gags and they've all got dicks in their hands. So that's, <laughs> that's why they can't hear cheering or too much applause. Everyone's just orgiastic. <laughs> but that's part of the fringe experience, I'm told. Oh, definitely. Yeah. I mean, had I known, I would have worn my ball gag too. But I didn't realise that was the dress code. I'm so sorry. I know, but we need you to say things. So you're, uh, you're allowed to have no ball gag. And do you have a ball gag yourself? Uh, yes, but it is at home with my boyfriend. He's wearing it. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and by home, right. she means boot of her car. <laughs> now, you two are both straight down the line comedians. It's stand-up comedy that you both deal in, um, which I find quite interesting because for me, I'm, I'm a, I work in comedy, but it's not exactly the same format. So I thought today I might talk to you a bit about how, how a show is structured and about how you put a show together because I know that you're both here with your own shows at the Edinburgh Festival. Now, Diane, your show is. Tell us a little bit about it. So, my show is called Diane Spencer Slid Off the Turkey, mm. <laughs> which is literally taking one of the punchlines and using it as the title, which is a classic. Mm. I've not written the whole thing yet, and yeah. you want me to name it eight months in advance. Wondrous. Um, and this show is... I only discover the theme of the show when the show is complete, if that makes sense. Yep. So I will write a lot of jokes and a lot of material based on like what is happening and what tickles me. I'll piece it together in some kind of order, but it's only when I've actually played it a couple of times that I start to recognize what the show is about. Right. And this show is um, about me defrosting after freezing during lockdown, essentially, and um, becoming a red-blooded woman again, even though I've got anemia. I see. And when you say defrosting, mm. do you mean emotionally? Do you mean your funny bones defrosting? I think like my whole emotional psyche sort of mm -hmm. froze. I know that uh, when we were in the second lockdown, um, there was actually a turning point where out of nowhere I had a panic attack. And mm. the problem is, I wasn't even remotely concerned about anything at the time. I just suddenly, my throat closed up and my whole body just suddenly shrunk into a ball. And I was out for a jog at the time, so it wasn't terribly useful. And I thought, oh, it is true. Most people do die within like 100 meters of their own home. And I thought, oh, I'm just one of those statistics. <laughs> Diane, it does sound similar to an orgasm. <laughs> Do you freeze up when you have an orgasm? Like uh, rictus. Uh, yeah, and then it takes... Have you seen those goats that, like... I think yes, they, fainting they, goats. They, yeah. yeah, they stiffen up, they collapse. 
that's yeah that's essentially what i did that it that was literally my spirit animal the fainting mm. goat the fainting goat is your spirit animal now alison i know that you're here you're previewing some work at the fringe this year is that right yeah i'm doing a work in progress okay. um because i over the last year again it's all going to be a little bit of lockdown talk this will be mm. the last year that we can even use any of this yeah. material uh so when I was in lockdown, like many comics, uh, I decided to start a podcast. Hey, yes. the world of podcasting. And so um, I, in the podcast that I do, WTB, Women Talking Bollocks, with two other lovely female comedians, Jen Brister and Maureen Younger, I get to be an agony aunt. And I have always wanted to have an advice column my whole life. It has been a big dream of mine. So this past year, I've just been like, getting people's problems, talking about problems. And so I really wanted to write a show about that. Right. Yeah. Our producer who's sitting in this room once did a show at the Edinburgh Festival called Nancy Clench, Agony Ant. <laughs> but being very honest, Nancy Clench isn't the kind of person in a position to give any advice. <laughs> But I wonder if perhaps you have. You grew up in Canada, right? So that's yes. where the accent's from. Now, I know you live in Manchester. Yes, I but, do. But, but that, to me, is that's a woman who's traveled. Diane used to live in New Zealand. Mm. Okay, so we have two ladies who've been around the world. Mm -hmm. So that's something that you could probably bring to the table giving advice. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Uh, because I think, look, there's cultural differences everywhere that you go. And, um, you know, it's a very interesting time in British culture and that I think people are identifying that they have emotions. <laughs> yes. And that's very exciting, I think, for everyone here. Uh, so that's been a very fun, you know, they're like, this is how I feel. There's a lot of talk of mental health, you know, well-being, uh, the four pillars of, of well-being. Whereas, you know, therapy, people are into having therapists now, which years ago you had to wait till you hit a rock bottom. In North America, we've been grabbing therapists just because we stub our toe. It's very exciting. <laughs> so it's fun to be a part of, you know, this cultural change. Um, and I absolutely love it. Yeah. And what is the difference between Brits and Americans in that regard? Okay, well, Americans... You got I'm, the therapy thing in the 90s, is that right? Yeah. I think, I think of, there are being a lot of stereotypes in American and Canadian shows about that. Yeah, and they like to talk about themselves more. I feel mm. the stiff upper lip is still, like, really within the British culture, yeah. you know? Like, oh, have a drink and, you know, it'll all pass. Or, you know, don't worry about it. Talk to your mates about it. Sometimes I'm like, absolutely, don't talk to your mates about it. This is the worst possible thing you could do. <laughs> your friends are fucked up. Look at your mate passed out in a cat coma on the ground. Please exactly. do not talk to your mate about that. So I think it's lovely, um, yeah, to be able to be in a position. And also, I love giving advice because you know what? The problems aren't mine. And I get to avoid my own brain for a little while. That's why I love doing it. Does anyone ever do, could, because that's the thing, right? They send you a question, you give them an answer, and then you never hear from them again. <laughs> Like, because who knows? You know, yeah. they could become successfully suicidal after your advice. I mean, you know, I'm just putting it out there. I always try to remind them I don't have the answer. I have suggestions. Mm -hmm. I have possible information that might help them. Now and again, people do write back and go, thank you so much, or I'll keep that in mind. One time a woman wrote, I'll keep what you said in mind. I was like, oh, wow. all right, good luck with your Thanks problem. For that. Yeah. <laughs> now, Diane was nodding furiously about the stiff upper lip thing, so I wonder if that's contributed to the uh, to the jogging orgasm incident. <laughs> you know, maybe that was that you just finally, the lip softened. That's a, that's a stiff lower lip. Go on, sorry. Yeah. I'm sorry. <laughs> no, no, no. I think that definitely from what you were saying about people having emotions, I was like, oh God, I don't think I'm ready for this yet. Yeah, yeah. No. No. <laughs> like my show is about defrosting back to normal, which is still repressed. Yes. Uh, but not arctic tundra repressed <laughs> so that's where i'm moving but you used to be a teacher as well like we both used to be secondary school teachers yeah. oh. so we're used to sort of people coming to us like well we're not used to because obviously it's decades ago now yeah. but yeah. like you have that sort of experience of these people you are the fountain of knowledge mm. yeah yeah, you can't put a foot wrong. Uh, and even if you do and you think that probably wasn't the best advice, you see them grow up and they're okay anyway. <laughs> that's the main thing. That's the right? main thing. Yeah. We're all emotionally unbalanced. Uh, I think that's why I liked teenagers because I was like, mm. I get you. Yeah. <laughs> I'm with you. I know what yeah. you're talking about. This is not easy. I haven't figured myself out yet. So, 
you know, it's okay. That's what I loved about being a teacher too. Mm. I mean, it's just making, and maybe that's the same thing with advice is I just like everyone to realize that like a heightened sense of empathy and understanding goes a long way in this world. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. It is funny, the thing about teenagers, because I mean, I don't really, you know, I, I work in nightclubs and I don't have any teenage relatives so I don't really see teenagers too much although I see the 18 year olds that come to shows and mm. you know in the gay bars and stuff but I never know what to do with little kids my sister and some of my friends have all just had babies tiny babies and I'm like you're gonna have to bring them to me when they're 15 and they find it funny that I swear a lot you know <laughs> like right now there's yeah. not much I can give them yeah you yeah. know whereas I, I always think that um, the you know thinking back to teachers the teachers that would that I was more interested in or hearing their perspectives were the ones who would give you a little more leeway and a little more rope. Yeah. You know, the yeah. cool teacher, but they obviously do know boundaries and they know, like, don't let yeah. you jump off the roof of the school or whatever. Yeah. Um, was that the kind of teacher that either of you were? Were you the cool teacher? Um, well, I think that um, I was definitely somebody that people could approach and mm. they could be brutally honest with me. Uh, one of my first jokes was about how a little girl came up to me and said, Miss, we were all chatting and we said if one of us had a ginger baby, we'd drown it in a sack. And I was like, thanks. Okay, good. (laughs) (laughs) Namaste. (laughs) Um, (laughs) So I would say that um, uh, I probably was, I gave a bit more leeway because also I got trained on the job. So, but just having empathy. And actually the main thing to do with kids is you have to remember, you don't actually have to do anything. Mm. So when your friends come to you with this tiny person, that tiny person has got a massive to-do list. Mm. Whether they know it or not, they already know what they like, what they want, where they want to go, and the only thing that stops them doing everything instantly is their parents and adults. And they want to be listened to, they want to be looked after, they come with a whole thing already you don't actually have to do anything except listen to them and they will tell you straight away what they want and just be with them and before you know it you'll be on fun little adventures and things and it's grand see she likes small children i, I, I just yeah. try to get <laughs> away from them i fun, try to get away from fun them. little adventures aren't really no i'm like, gonna stay at the bar sarcasm? if you don't understand sarcasm we are not gonna get along here yeah <laughs> Well, so there's a thing about like how I was just doing an interview just now about um, discussing about how appropriate drag is for kids. This is a debate that's happening oh, all the time. Yeah. But I'm thinking that I know that Diane's comedy can be quite filthy. Yes. You know, um, and there's obviously some humor that's appropriate for some audiences. I wonder, like, Diane, did young people come to your shows? Probably not now. No, 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 no. I don't. But uh, are they banned at the door? Is it no, yeah, no under yeah, 18s? Yeah, really? because this is. I, I think that stand up for me is an adult medium. Mm. Like my favorite comics are the ones that absolutely terrify me and push the boundaries of what I think is acceptable. And it's, it is all adult content. That's how I really discovered stand up. That's, that's where it lives in my mind. Yeah. And so um, if there's kind of 16 year olds, I'm like. This is not good. My favorite people are people who have lived a little bit. They're a little bit more relaxed. They're not too worried about um, their persona if they seem Mm -hmm. to be laughing at the wrong thing. So yeah, I I think it's very much um, a fruity adults only kind of thing. But equally, we don't have genres in stand-up. So uh, that can cause an issue because, uh, you know, yes, I'm a bit filthy, um, but we we don't have a name for that. Like, Mm. I'm not like, blue comedy I suppose I am a bit but nobody advertises it like that yeah and even though we do have words for it like whimsical comedy musical comedy we we never push it with the genre no so that's why you get like lineups of people like mixed bills and and the best you can get I suppose is a theme night really isn't it where they go yeah funny like there's what there's one at the fringe I'm gonna do it's called funny filthy females oh yeah I saw the poster for that yeah 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 yeah. so so that kind of thing sort of lets you know what you're in for because a lot of the time you can do something people sit there and it is completely at odds with what they think comedy should be and the theme of that is alliteration, isn't it? <laughs> Funny, filthy females. The whole show has to be alliterative from start to finish, which would be hard work, I feel. It's funny when there's those comics who do, like, um, 
you know, I, I, they're like raconteurs who'll tell a long story and then there are people who it's literally like the joke is contained in one sentence. Yeah. I feel like that's so delightful and it almost like stimulates a different part of my brain as a listener. Mm. I think I, I love a story the best. I love Wendy Williams, you know. I love Kathy Griffin, Joan Rivers. People, Well, Joan Rivers is quite... Joke, Joan Rivers joke, has joke. jokes, yeah. Joke, yeah, joke, yeah. joke. Yeah. But yeah. I like a funny story that's sort of characterized. Yeah. Um, and I feel like for myself, that would be an easier way to write a stand-up hour if I was going to do that, because I'd be able to just tell stories. We do that with our friends, you know? Yeah. And within the stories, I mean, that's, I think, one of the most beautiful ways to start doing stand-up. I think that's how everyone starts is a story. And then you figure out how to, like, plant laughs or the jokes throughout. So yeah. it's kind of like start with something that gets them laughing, stories, another laugh, some talk, another laugh. When I first started stand-up, it's really interesting because when I first started, it was all about uh, jokes, LPMs, laughs per minute. Yeah. How many yeah, yeah, yeah. laughs can you get in a minute? And I remember I was taught, write out your stuff and underline where you think the funny is, underline where you think they're going to laugh, and if there's more than three to four lines to get to that point, Trim it. summarize it. Yes, summarize. Yeah. So literally, when I started, it was like, what's the point? But now my background, I've mainly worked clubs. So I'm working with drunk people in a room. Diane has done tons of lovely one-hour long shows here at the Fringe, which is a different game, totally. Yeah. You know, a lot of people who come see Fringe shows don't necessarily like the... Yeah, which, that's, right. which is problematic when that's your style. When that's what you do, yeah. Because yeah, we both work in the clubs. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. And so, and yeah, when, when the people come for the fringe, you have to, it's almost like you have to borrow like just 10% from a different genre that's yeah. not yours. Yeah. Mm. So you kind of go with your stand-up and you go, this is my stand-up. And, and I had the same thing as you. I had, the la I had people talking about laughs per minute. Mm -hmm. I had people talking about, they went, right, okay, you've got to do short joke, short joke, short joke. Then you can do a long joke. Yeah. Short joke, short joke, short joke. Yeah. And this is what you've got to do. Yeah. You know, so everybody, and then you think, yeah, but now everybody's got the same rhythm. Yeah. I, I, we're all singing the same tune. Like, yeah, is, yeah. are people not going to get album fatigue or something? Yeah. So, um, yeah, but when you do like an hour long show, you still, because of the way that we are, Alison and I are actually very similar. Uh, I would in, say, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We're quite similar in, in, you could easily put us together like on an album if you were going to do a, <laughs> yeah. a, a thing. Um, and uh, yeah, so once you've done your joke, 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 because we're at the fringe and there is a slightly different expectation, you do have to add just one other element. So it could be something like, it could be a, a, a bit of music, like a song. It could be some physical stunt that you're doing. Mm -hmm. It could be more words that are a bit more poetic and they kind of, you know, connect it like a narrative and you sort of give this impression of synchronicity within the universe and your story. But you have to have that tiny element. That's what people expect. The Fringe almost has its own sort of... Uh, it's like an Instagram filter over the types of shows people are going to do. <laughs> yes. about just puts yes. its own color into things. One hundred percent. There's a personality to it. <laughs> yeah, because look, I didn't even know there were different schools of comedy in that regard until I moved to the UK. Because in Canada, uh, there is no like fringe festival where you come and do an hour-long show. There's just for laughs that you are invited to, and you do your 10 minutes of your stand-up, you know, mm. that sort of thing. This was a real learning experience for me that I learned that there's literally two different types of comics sometimes, those that do fringe long form mm -hmm. and those that like clubs quicker. And sometimes they come together. Sometimes we learn how to blend them, as, as we have worked very hard to do, but sometimes... Maybe there are just certain comics that one style is not theirs and the other style is, you know, so it's, it's interesting. But I didn't even know that that was a world that existed until I came to here. Yeah, to the UK. Um, do, do, so I think about, if I think of singers, like most singers I know will have, a fav like will have favorite singers who have inspired how they sing. Um, but I, I feel a bit like with comedy, you don't have to have had a favorite comedian no. to be a comedian in the same way. Yeah. Um, but do either of you have comedians who are like, that was who I loved growing up and have, has that informed the way that you do comedy at all? Because maybe I love Robin Williams, but that's not really anything like what I do on stage. Totally. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> I mean, I watched Eddie Murphy raw a lot right. when I was growing up, <laughs> but I am not in any way, shape or form like Eddie Murphy doing stand up. And I don't know about you, but for me, 
I um, I mean, Janine Garofalo was the first comedian oh, yeah. that I saw. She's here. She is here. Oh my God, is yeah. she here? She's here. <laughs> I saw her on a poster. We should get her on this podcast. Oh, producer, producer she Nathan. She inspired me so much because Janine Garofalo, when I looked at her, I was like, oh, you kind of look like me. Because here's the yeah. other thing. I always wanted to be a performer. I wanted to be an actress. But you know, I don't necessarily fall into the stereotypical type of look that one may need to be cast in TV or to be cast in certain things. So when I saw Janine Garofalo in, uh, I think it was The Truth About Cats and Dogs, the movie that changed my life, I was like, <laughs> maybe stand-up, maybe stand-up. So I started doing stand-up even before I even knew anything about her stand-up. And then when I started doing stand-up, that's when I found my comedians that inspired me. And number one is Joan Rivers. Yeah. I mean... She was talking about things, doing jokes before anyone even wanted to address some of the subject matter that right. she was talking about. So Joan Rivers, for me, mm. I look at her now and I'm like, wow, I didn't even understand how many doors you were kicking open mm -hmm. for me at that time. So for now, she is my number one favorite comedian. Yeah. yeah. Nice. Yeah. I, uh, I always watched comedy when I was growing up. Uh, and the closest was um, to stand-up was Jasper Carrot. Mm. Um, and, but I loved French and Saunders. I thought they were the funniest thing ever. And then obviously uh, they went on and did their different projects like Absolutely Fabulous oh. and The Vicar of Dibley. So I always loved sitcoms and I wanted to write a sitcom. That was my, my big, big, big thing. Um, and when I became uh, a stand-up, it was because I tried doing stand-up comedy to check I was actually funny. Like to, yeah. And it was such a nerve-wracking experience. I, um, I, I generated too much stomach acid and I got put on something called a proton pump inhibitor. Oh, I'm on that, girl. <laughs> you on that? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, so, to yeah, it stop stops you from you melting acid. yourself yeah, from, the inside. from the inside. It's yeah. horrible. Yeah. <laughs> and I'm, yeah, and I was on it for about two weeks leading up to my first gig because I was so nervous. Um, uh, we should chat about this afterwards. <laughs> yes, let's talk about <laughs> we have our much acid to catch up on. <laughs> um, and then when I became a stand-up, yeah, the same thing happened. I started looking further afield, and my first one that I just blew my mind was Doug Stanhope. I was like, <laughs> oh my... He says whatever! Yeah, yeah, I was like, yeah. oh! Like, kind of watching him in my office where I worked in financial services, and I'm like, oh my God, this is crazy. And um, I, yeah, and I love Kathy Griffin as well, because yeah. uh, I just loved how different she was, mm -hmm. and her energy, and her, my life on the D-list. So those two really, for me, like Doug for his writing, Kathy for her her bubbliness, her never-ending energy. Um, and her desire to not quit because she, yes. she's a little bit, I don't want to say she's an outsider, but I feel like she always was like, yeah, I, you know, she was never one of the critics' darlings, again, much no, like no, Joan no. Rivers. And to not be a critics' darling and to keep going to me, I'm like... Yes. And I think mm, her thing yeah. I find interesting with Kathy Griffin is, I, uh, similarly, I loved her um, right up until like, yeah, I'm thinking of my university days, 20, 2006 through like to 2010. I think her comedy changed because she um, became so focused on Bravo where she worked that all of her content started being about the Real Housewives. Mm. It used to be about icons. It used yeah. to be about Whitney Houston. And it moved down the rung of the showbiz ladder. And then she started hanging out with Jane Fonda and Cher and stuff. And I'm like, you are not our girl on the inside. You're now, you're now the thing you're trying to mock. Yes. And it doesn't really work for me, her persona. And I think because she was the outsider, when she was sat having dinner with Cher, which she wanted that approval so much, she lost her, you know, I think she lost some of her X factor. Mm-hmm. The thing that we loved. The I thing so, where we yeah. were like, we are also the outsider and we love you for... Exactly. Yeah. I felt betrayed. I you felt cheated on. I felt <laughs> It's like she left us for the cool but kids. Those, and you're like, hang on. Right. You were the leader of the not cool kids yeah. and you dumped us. But yeah. there was golden years there. And so she did like, I swear there's about 10 of her specials where every single story I know because I've seen them several mm. times. Yeah. And love them. But still, there's different comics that I, uh, I don't know about you, but I turn to them for different reasons. Mm -hmm. oh, yeah. So, like, for example, Robin Williams. Like, um, if I sort of look at what I'm doing um, and I think there's something wrong here, there's like a pace wrong, I'm missing something, and it's almost like I need to take my brain for a walk through the fast-paced kind of 
space that Robin Williams can create. So then I'll watch like one of his specials. Like um, uh, there was one like something like Weapons of Mass Destruction or something like that. It was, I can't remember what it was called. And um, it, the jokes are so thick and so fast and mm. the voices are changing and your brain kind of absorbs it all. And I, I swear it's a bit like tuning a radio. Your brain kind of goes, ah, yeah, 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 yeah. And then you get back to your material and you go, right, okay, I can sort of see now why this bit's dragging or whatever. Yes. Or you listen to somebody like Doug Stanhope and you think, that was extreme. And then you look at what you're doing and you think, would I be as equally delighted and horrified with my material? And mm -hmm. then you think, well, how, how is, what is the most extreme I can make this? And by having those sort of icons, it challenges you to push things further. But then again, I'm an over-tinkerer. But there's something about the pacing, <laughs> right? I think like Robin Williams' great example is quite frenetic. It's bam, bam, bam. It's, it's sort of almost schizophrenic comedy, isn't it? Just <laughs> yeah. moving so fast. And while we're watching it, we're swept along. So when you're going at that pace, there's no time for second guessing. And then it's your instincts. Mm. So if you, I, I totally get that. I actually have a similar thing with singers as well. Like there's, even though I don't really love Beyonce, if I listen to her, she has a, a, quite a steady vibrato and she's quite a, a lot of attack in her voice. Yeah, okay. So if you sing after you've been listening to her when you're getting ready, it's something, it steadies the voice out somehow. Wow. Because, you know, we have this thing about like the availability heuristic, I think it's called, which is where we, um, so uh, an example of that would be that your mind calls to it things that have, are basically readily available from the last couple of hours. So you nice. might be asked a question about, I don't know, what's a drag queen's favorite color? And tomorrow <laughs> you're gonna go red. Red, they love red, yeah. And there's no reason why, and it's, oh, it's just because I'm wearing red today, and that's what you remember. So I feel like there's something of that. We almost like slightly absorb and emulate the things that are around us. I Definitely. agree. I agree with that. Which, um, I'm gonna take it this way, if this is okay. But go, I go, think go, go, go. I'm gonna take it this way. Uh, it's interesting too, because you know, in comedy, when we were coming up, it, it was a majority of men. Yeah. And, and I think that white men are allowed to say a lot more things freely on stage. And I feel for many years, being a woman in comedy, you, you could go watch Doug Stanhope and get that, you know, and get up there and sell your shit. And that audience may be like, mm, don't think we're ready for you to be like. <laughs> I do. I believe that. I feel like... so. Influence is interesting, but we also have to have a clear perception of who we are to the people. Where are the people in society at the time? Like, I feel audiences and people have changed a lot mm -hmm. over the last, I'm even going to say five years. Yes, definitely. Like, significantly. Yep. As a woman, I'd walk on stage, you'd walk on stage, and we would get booed before we said a word. I remember being in Liverpool and someone saying, <laughs> nobody cares what you have to say, love. Before I said a word, nobody cares what you have to say, love. Oh, Liverpool. Now... I walk on stage in Liverpool and people cheer. They're like, finally, a girl. And that's like within a five year period. Yeah. So I feel society changes a lot, um, but I think it was tricky for us because a lot of our role models maybe wouldn't have been necessarily, I don't know, they, they were white guys because that's what was out there. Uh, that is interesting because my uh, mine were definitely French and Saunders. Was Way it French more and than Saunders? anybody else. But is that stand up? No, it's no. not stand-up. Yeah. No. So it's stand-up inspiration. What's your... Doug yeah, yeah. Stanhope. And Kathy Griffin, yeah. yeah. But that's because they were saying the extreme things. There is... Um, I do like Whitney Cummings for oh, that reason. Yeah, and I yeah. like Isla Schle Schlesinger. Sorry. Oh, yeah. She, no, I think she's very funny. I didn't want to like her for some reason. I think... Um, I, think she I think she reminded me of someone in my life's sister. <laughs> And so I was like, ready not to like her. I find this all the time where I, I, I identify that I like someone and then identify that I'm surprised that I enjoyed it. And then I'm curious about why I thought I wasn't going to like them. I'm like, why would, did I think I wasn't going to like that person? It I was that know. thing you were talking about, um, the heuristic availability. Uh -huh. yeah, yeah, it's because you were just like, I already know you and I don't like you because you've been a pain. Just like someone I know, yeah. <laughs> um, there have been times where... Yes, admittedly. I have walked on stage and uh, I remember once a bloke stood up and he started taking drinks orders with his mates. Yep. And I went, what are you doing? And he went, well, you're a woman. You're not going to be funny. And he just said it to me just uh, 
in that way and um like plain as day like yeah the yeah, sky yeah. is blue you're a female comedian so I'm gonna go to the bathroom now or I'm gonna get yeah, the drinks yeah, right yeah, now yeah 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 and I've had people I've had people do the shake of the head and the turn <laughs> and stuff like that and I've not even opened my mouth but um they were vastly in the minority is the first thing I will say vastly even though obviously you remember it more because you remember mm -hmm. more when you've had a bad experience than when you've had a good one sadly um but also yes you're right you have to look at yourself you have to be aware of who you are and what people are looking at mm -hmm. because uh, you how you sound how you walk because the second you walk on stage people will make a million judgments about you yeah. and uh i find that at the same time although i i appreciate i probably look and sound like i own a fleet of ponies <laughs> uh, and you do <laughs> you definitely do I rode up to Edinburgh on them in a carriage yeah I would um, assume your family has land oh, I would assume your family has land is how oh, I feel so much land and we have pheasants and grouse I think that's mm -hmm. yes is that what yeah, they why do not? <laughs> you can have whatever you want darling fun, yeah. uh, we have our own tartan um, so there is I, so I, I totally understand that I mean I think when you're saying that even in the past five years like who, what you mean to an audience has changed because it's about like I was talking about this with the guests yesterday about what is credible for you to do what can you pull off what can you get away with because the humor I use in my shows is received in a certain way because I look kind of like on the one hand quite ridiculous but also like a diva yeah. and if I came out in uh, dressed as a boy and I look quite young and the that that the humor that I have, the Maggie Smith Emma Thompson humor, um, just isn't convincing coming from that persona. Yeah. So in comedy, because it's very exaggerated in drag, but do you have a a suit of armor, a, a concept for yourself that isn't just the person you are? That's your Sasha Fierce or your Ziggy Stardust persona. Mm. I don't know. Or do you feel like you're just walking on like right here? I am and me. I'm going to be funny now. I think the first time I did a gig, I thought it, I thought it was that. Yeah. The first, and then I realised that that what I put out there was not going to be received necessarily how I wished it to be received. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, like, especially when you get reviewed for the first time, and they use words to describe you that you would never have picked yourself, <laughs> and you go, "Oh, filthy, great." I had no idea. Shock humor. I was like, oh, that's not good. I don't like that at all. Uh -huh. Even though some people would describe Doug Stanhope as shock humor, but mm -hmm. I describe it as very well written. Yeah. So, <laughs> mm -hmm. um, but yeah, it, I suppose on, on one hand now over the years, I've built up uh, a method of performing, which is essentially, it is my personality because I don't think you can hide much on stage. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So, but it's definitely mm. through a filter. You, you, like you said before, you design your own Instagram filter, essentially, mm -hmm. where you tweak elements of what you. you're doing. And uh, although I am always aware of what people may look at me, I'm aware of what I want to do. And yes, sometimes they clash and we don't get on, but that's fine because you're not supposed to like everything. So if they don't like what I'm doing, I'd much rather carry on and do what I'm doing and keep the people who do like me, which is why I do write in an extreme fashion. I do write sort of filthy material that pushes people because that's what I think is funny. And I'm not going to sort of mellow myself out and apologize unless I think I'm going to be stoned to death, like when I did a gig in Bahrain. Alison, <laughs> <laughs> uh, I know that uh, one, one critic described you as likable and versatile, which made me laugh because that's on my grinder profile. And, um, <laughs> but, but it is funny that I don't think people consider it a prerequisite to a male comic that they be likable. I actually think a lot of male comics, funny as they may be, part of their humor is that they are a dickhead. Like part of their persona is that they're kind of a prick, but they make us laugh. Yeah. And whereas likable is sort of people, people somehow feel they need to like a woman first. Yeah. Like that's the main thing. And then is she funny, which I think is so stupid because you paid to see a comedy show, not a likable show. It's very true. But also I think, um, cause likable is a real aspect of, of, uh, 
I, I think who I am. Oh God, I feel so weird saying that. But like, look, I really like people to feel comfortable and yeah. at home around me. Uh, it doesn't matter who they are. Even if it's someone I don't like, I feel there's a, a lot further you can get in the world mm-hmm. having a, a good relationship with even those that maybe you don't necessarily get along with. Because then we can always listen to each other and not... So when someone says likable, I'm like, oh, I almost... Thank you. Thank you for thank you for finding that in me. Yeah. And I think it's harder to be likable and funny. I think it's a lot easier right. to be an asshole and get yeah. up there and tell some jokes and have people be like, oh, listen to them fucking winching. Yeah. You're right, buddy. To be a <laughs> likable person and to get up there and be like, God, we like her, but... Look at her also saying that stuff, that filthy <laughs> stuff, or that this stuff, or that. Th- I I take that as a real badge of honor, to be honest yeah. with you. Yeah, yeah. Diane, um, I know is one of the loveliest people because I know I know Diane a little bit, and um, I was so interested to have this conversation today. So when I was out doing flyering, I was telling people I was like, one of the comics we have with us today is Diane Spencer, and she is the loveliest woman <laughs> you'll ever meet. She makes homemade fudge. Not just homemade fudge for, for the normal people, but also homemade fudge for the vegans. And, and she's so lovely. And, I, and so I was telling these older women who were like, oh, she sounds great. Yeah, and I went, but the thing is that this means she must be a total cunt. <laughs> because it's quite hard to be so pleasant and, and, and giving. So I wonder, are there aspects of your personality, Diane, that you'd care to reveal on this podcast? <laughs> Do you squash small animals under your heel? I regularly strangle ponies. Well, that's the connection. You go through them, all right. <laughs> um, oh, thank you. I feel uh, very flush. That's wondrous. I, I like. <laughs> you are, though. Look at the first time we met. We liked each other so much, remember? You're brilliant. We though. met in Edinburgh, and I was like, it's... you're so nice. You're so nice. And we got along instantly. Yeah. And I was like, oh, yeah, kindred spirit. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. You're, the, you're my Anne. I'm your Diana. And Anna Green Gables <laughs> is what's going on right now between the two of us. Yeah, sweet as pie, this one. Absolutely. <laughs> filthy, and I do love it. You, you keep saying you're filthy. And you know what? I just want you to know, I think you're funny. I've never really particularly thought of you as like filthy. I've always thought of you as just... But that's the thing. Again, we're girls and we tell dirty jokes, so yeah. we're filthy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We're yeah, yeah, disgusting, yeah. filthy beings. Burn the witches. Yes. <laughs> but, like, yeah, but I, that was the thing. That was the thing that shocked me. I was like, I just thought this stuff was funny. I didn't realize it was yeah, yeah. Fil- filthy or rude. God forbid you talk about sex. God forbid you talk about something to do with anything that people don't want to. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, it's yeah, really. Yeah. yeah. In yeah. The, oh, God, last night in this show, it's the most sort of female body centric show I've written in ever mm-hmm. and I had a large group of men in there and I thought oh god this is the compostable tampon bit and I thought Here okay and I literally quickly translated it into a curry I was like okay lads imagine you've had a curry and I'm like just doing this off the hoof because I thought there's no point in me doing the normal bit and I was like you've had a curry it was a fall four chilies on the menu you felt really proud you've had like three Guinnesses they're all going right 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 now it's the next morning you've got hot sweats but you haven't had a shit and they're all going And I went, right, so you haven't had a shit, you're getting the hot sweats, right? Can you feel it? And they were like, yeah. I was like, right, now imagine that your clothes are really sweaty, you can smell everything, it's disgusting, you've got this big ball in your guts that's like pulling you down. And they were like, ugh. And and they were like, yeah, yeah, yeah. And then suddenly I said, it happens, and there's just shit and blood everywhere. Right. And they were like, yeah? And I was like, that's what we go through once a month. Just once a month, (laughs) we expect that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and I sort of said that and they were all like right 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 and then I was sort of think right I can do the tampon bit God. now so going back to your question uh, yes uh, I realised that we deflected there you um, must yearn for the menopause <laughs> <laughs> must be I'm very lucky I've yet to have my first period um, <laughs> that yeah that's, uh, that's something that I don't have to think about but now, now I am thinking about it the weird the weirdest part for me is that my sense of smell becomes so heightened i'm like a like a wolf or a dog i've heard that before when yeah, some I women when they, they're like yeah they could smell something from a mile away yeah it's horrendous yeah. like suddenly the, the suddenly not only am i like hot and i've got a very big brain fog but at the same time i can smell 
everything. Wow. And I know where it's coming from. I can find things by smell. Do you think it's- that's a biological thing? Years ago, like back in the prehistoric days, we'd be like, I smell dick. Like, do you think that's what that is? Yeah, maybe. That men would smell us and we'd smell them and it was a biological thing. So maybe our... That's our, the time. Maybe it's the... Yeah, maybe there is a sense in high... Yeah, maybe, right? I smell testosterone. There is. Yeah, maybe. I had a really boring alternative theory. <laughs> this, is, this is the part of my personality I want to hide. I'm a horrible, horrible nerd. Like, once I, like, get into something... No, be proud of being smart. Now, I know, I know this about you because you've, you've... She knows all the bones and all the muscles in the face because she almost got Botox once and then didn't well I, I thought it would be polite to at least know the name of the thing I'm going to paralyze True. <laughs> yeah. Um, so um, yeah the I always thought that the smell was because you're about to look like a wounded animal because if you think about it if you bleed you're a, you look like you're wounded and my theory was, if you've got a heightened sense of smell, you'll be able to smell like obviously gross things, like like bears. a dick. No, <laughs> predator. A, a predator is arriving. Yeah, bears, dicks, yeah, yeah. all the predators, yeah. and like and always, and like animal things. And so your smell was like, okay, guys, we shouldn't go this way because we all look wounded right now. And I'm pretty sure all like that's why women get in sync because we all do it at the same time. Yeah. So we're all like, right, we look like a wounded pack right now. So we need to like move us one and stay away from. We all just the all predators. stand back to back, we, looking like, out. Shield. Uh, yeah. <laughs> it's like that. Yeah. Yeah. Well, we'll never know the real reason for the heightened <laughs> sense of smell. <laughs> But it is good to consider the many theories. <laughs> Thank you. Yes. <laughs> yep. I feel like I've forgotten where we were before that point of the <laughs> afternoon. <laughs> yeah. Female anatomy uh, talk will really do that to people. Oh yeah. Oh God, it throws. Would you, would you have done something like that nine years ago? Would you have done a show all about your female body nine years ago? No. Mm. Because no. society is changing. It really has yeah. changed. Mm-hmm. It really has changed. And, uh, but the weird thing is, is that it's changed in some ways. It's become more open. And in some ways, it's become more closed. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, so uh, like we're seeing uh, a lot of extremes of thought and opinion. But also we're seeing some people who um, obviously oppress opinion. Like um, uh, Vanity and I, we both do GB News. And obviously, like, that's where people, like, talk about different things and where um, instead of opening up, uh, people start, um, people have been shutting us down. Like, what, you know, when Brexit happened, for example, yeah, <laughs> it was literally, like, a year and six months after Brexit happened, I got fed up with everybody, with people on my timeline on Facebook calling old white people racist. I was like, not every old white person is a racist. Can we just calm down? I literally said can we calm down? And the amount of shit I got for saying that not all old white people are racist was insane. Mm. And I was like, wow. And the second that happened, I was like, I actually disassociated a bit from like our community, which made me a bit sad. But at the same time, I was like, no, this is, this is ridiculous now. But you are totally right in that society has changed in that you're right, I see a, a, a lot more um, women being open. And I think the ones who felt like we were doing something wrong mm-hmm. and felt like we shouldn't be up there, mm-hmm. like, and they're still there. They come up to us and they go, oh, I loved what you did. I don't normally like women oh comedians. God, and you're times. like, oh, fuck off then. Just, you know, what, why have you hated yourself? Like, because a woman will say it. Yeah. It's always the women. They can't yeah. go, oh, I don't normally like women. And I'm like, well, what's your problem with, like, do you not have any mates? Like, yeah. it's weird. And when a bloke goes, women never make me laugh, I'm like, oh, I feel really sad for you because that means your mum was a grumpy one. Uh, yeah. Wanker, yeah. Doesn't it? Did your mum never make you laugh? Um, just feel sorry for them. I have, I have had a theory before, which um, I hope is received in the way it's intended. I have thought before... I think there's something about the male mind where there is a sort of instinct to make a type of joke which serves as a personality function for the men who aren't necessarily athletic or whatever the other desirable high status things are. I think it's one of the things that makes drag queens in the traditional acid-tongued format 
really funny is that it's a gay man who's had to adapt this sort of like really, really sharp sense of quite cutting humor because that's lost a lot in drag now because, you know, it's not particularly taboo to throw a dress on and, and we're far more accepting of all the, gen the, the sort of broader idea of gender now. So um, I think sometimes that there was a very specific gay male mind. That's why they loved, that's why the gays loved Joan Rivers and Bette Midler is because they had that type of humor too. I don't know if it belongs to men, but certainly I've seen it a lot in, in, in guys and we just saw it less in women maybe before this boom of readiness for people to yeah. enjoy comedy that happens to be by female performer. Yeah, I think so. Well, I, I just think society's views, I mean, look, and I don't want to speak because I do not know, but look, from my perspective, look at even drag. Look at how it's been brought into the world now and people are like, yes, this is it's, I don't want to say it's not mainstream, but mainstream accepts it and sees it, yeah. which also makes the dickheads get louder who don't like it. Oh, 100%. Right? Yeah. But we know that, like, this should be mainstream. Look at the, my boyfriend, and, and again, everyone can have different opinions on different things, but I've always loved Drag Race. I think it's a very interesting, it's amazing to watch. And I showed it to him. And after the first episode, we started on season four. And after the first episode, he was like, right. So there is no actual racing. And I was like, no, babe, there's no racing. There is no racing. There's no racing. And he's like, okay, okay. He goes, so the competition, though, is what they're doing. And now when he watches it, he'll look at me and be like, she's not even trying. <laughs> this is all stars, babe. This is all stars. Bring your game. Yeah. You know, he does complain there's not enough tits anymore. He misses the fake tits. He mm. does like it because fake tits really they're jiggle really jiggly. well. Um, but he is so into it. And I'm like, yes. This is it. People now getting exposed to things and going, actually, I quite. And, and so the world is changing. However, then there is always going to be that backlash of people who are like, oh, yeah. but should drag queens be reading to kids? Yeah, because you know what? Kids aren't all fucked in the head like we are. And yeah. kids will just go, look at this yeah. interesting person reading this book to me. I'm so excited to hear from... Right? Yeah. We're the ones who make it weird. So, I think so often. Yeah. I think that's, you know, tying in with what Diane was saying. It's one of the reasons for, um, I just went on GB News today to talk about that very subject. I'm sure I'll get scolded by the woke scolds sure. for yeah. going on there. But, you know, you've, I, I want to be a person who can talk across divides to people. Um, not that I think I have this profound social responsibility to do so. It's just actually kind of in my nature. Yeah. You know, it's not that I think it's this guardian angel syndrome, but I can't, I feel quite comfortable talking to people I disagree with from different backgrounds. It mm -hmm. doesn't really phase me. Um, yeah. So I feel like that's something that I'll have probably have in common with you, Diane, when, when you go and do the headliner show or something like that. Yeah. We, um, it's, you know, it's quite fun when you do sort of, um, I mean, even just signing up to sort of do GB News, um, a lot of uh, comics who seem to uh, announce that they are liberal um, suddenly sort of wrote uh, monologues about how um, we're all stupid and right-wing, and, mm -hmm. and you're like, wow, this is, this is novel. You've uh, not spoken to me in a year, and uh, now you're calling me all these names. Wondrous. Have you watched anything I've said? No. And Are you listening to my words? No. No. Yeah. <laughs> How do you argue something if you don't hear the argument? That is always my, uh, yeah. 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 Uh, but equally, I find it quite funny because like some of them I have gigged with, whether they like it or not. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and uh, I feel they're in, in like the changing room um look at me thinking that all gigs have a green room it's really cute i know like <laughs> me i often call that the closet yeah <laughs> every girl can dream <laughs> and uh, they'll say to me something like yeah well uh i would never do headliners i would never do gb news and i love going oh were you invited hmm. and they go oh no no and i was like oh well then yeah, <laughs> it's like if you, it's like saying I'm I'm not going to go to this party I haven't been invited to. Good, because <laughs> that would be gate crashing. Maybe nobody <laughs> wants you there. Well, if there's one thing we can take from the various the various comments made across the course of our discussion today, it's that comedians <laughs> take it in the neck a bit, don't they? 
there is a kind of, you're up there, I think it's, you're putting yourself out there, there's vulnerability in that, and also we have to accept too that what we're saying and doing isn't actually for everyone. And oh, like, definitely. And to some extent, I hope you enjoy it, but if you don't, who cares? Yeah. Mm. And, f- and being okay with that. Yeah. And understanding that, you mm. know, being vulnerable and being okay with maybe not everyone being down with your vulnerability, it, to me, has been the greatest strength I've ever learned. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Have, you, have we helped you thinking about your stand-up? Like, is there <laughs> a, can we do a quick thing now to help you? Well, you know, I think that um, I maybe didn't ask some questions that I would ask, but we can talk about all of this in the bar or in the many bars of Edinburgh. Uh, I'm definitely going to come and see both of your shows, assuming that you're here next week, aren't you? Yes. Alison, very good. Next week is my week of seeing things. Wondrous. This is currently right now is my week of doing things. Yes. <laughs> and then at the end will be my week of who the fuck cares what's going on, I don't care. Yeah. Um, so to both of you, if anyone is interested listening to the podcast, they can check out the shows for Diane Spencer and for Alison June-Smith, who are both here at the Edinburgh Festival um, over the coming weeks. Thank you so much for joining me here for The Vanity Project. Thank, Thank you. you so much. Yay. you like to look five years younger in a clinical study people that had volume added with juvederm voluma xc in the cheeks perceived themselves as looking five years younger at six months after treatment look younger feel like you add volume for lift and contour in the cheeks with juvederm voluma xc reverse signs of aging by adding volume to smooth laugh lines with juvederm volure xc For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus. Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.